Thank you for listening to Tapping Into the Human, a podcast on addiction, recovery, and mental health, brought to you by The Albertus Project. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. Every week, you'll hear powerful stories from people about their journey with recovery and be inspired by individuals and organizations that are leading the charge in decreasing the stigma surrounding mental health and addiction. Today on the podcast, we have Ali from the Adams Apples organization. Um, That's actually based in Vancouver, Canada. So shout out to Canada, my family back home. Um, Ali, just want to thank you so, so much for being here. Um, I think it's super awesome. I know we connected before about, you know, sharing your story and one of our good, you know, mutual friends connected us. So looking forward to chatting about your organization and, and your personal story. Um, so for the folks who, you know, don't know Adam's Apples organizations, don't know who you are, um, can you do me a favor? Can you give us a little bit of background on your role with the nonprofit, how the nonprofit came to be? Absolutely. So what we kind of aim to do from like a bigger picture point of view is just improve the mental health literacy of youth. That kind of came from a personal story where when I was 14 years old, my brother passed away from an accidental drug overdose. And it was in 2012, during that time, there was just so much misunderstanding, not only of addiction, but just mental health in general. People had like very um, limited and inaccurate, very oftentimes, um, representations of, you know, what is addiction? How do you get there? Um, What does that look like? And how do you deal with that? So not only was there, you know, a very rare circumstance for a 14 year old kid to be like, you know, my brother passed away. There was also this extra stigma on top of it of, you know, my brother passed away the way he passed away. So it was super hard for me to navigate um, just school life after that, you know, struggling with my own mental health of like losing Adam and, and trying yeah. to deal with that. I was also faced with this, um, this huge misunderstanding of who like my best friend was, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's just this um, yeah, you feel overwhelming like feeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A person. And I, and I was gonna say like on that, so my best friend Reed passed away from an overdose, unfortunately similar to your brother and we were best friends. And it's like, to me, I, I'm curious how it was for you. Did, did you know that your brother was struggling with addiction? That's the first question I have for you. Great question. Um, I did not know the drug of choice he was doing. So Adam passed away from heroin. We knew that Adam was doing cocaine. And I think what happened was when you go into rehab facilities, there's so much talk around the substances of choice. And that's a huge part of the therapeutic journey is to be able to talk about that. Mm -hmm. However, when there's addicts with different levels of um, addiction and and different drugs of choice, Yeah. I think after his second time in rehab, or maybe his first time, actually, I'm not quite sure, but one of the times in rehab is when he learned about heroin. Mm. And when he came back, at least from the second one, which is, I'm pretty sure where he learned about it, he passed away two weeks later. No way. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's so sad. And like, see, this is me naive six months ago. Reed went to rehab, I think two or three times. And although it was like the second or maybe third time, I'm like, oh, like it just, it's a cure. You go to rehab, you get fixed, right? You know, like God forbid someone has cancer, like you go get chemo. Like it's just sort of like a basic step in the book. Me not realizing, you know, like for me, when when Reed passed, I had 
Zippo clue she was using, Zippo clue she was in a bad space. And it's like, it's so hard to tell and sort of like missing a piece of your best friend. Like it's you, you, I, I sort of felt a, a piece of, of guilt. Like, what did I miss? What did I not know? Did you have those same sort of feelings? Absolutely. I mean, Adam was such like a social extroverted person. Yeah. And, you know, being the age I was, he was like my hero, right? So to yeah. hear such a negative connotation with somebody in my mind, so positive, it was very confusing at the time. I think with age, though, I've really realized that like, addiction is about survival at a certain point, right? Mm -hmm. You'll do anything to get, you know, the food you need, the sleep you need. It's, right. it's a primitive change in the way people think. So my personal journey has been being able to compartmentalize who Adam was as a person mm. and who Adam, what Adam was doing to survive, you know, like oh, the, those that. qualities, they're, they're not necessarily a product of the person. It's, it, no. it's not a choice anymore. No. And I think that that is so important for people to recognize, like talking about the stigma and the education piece. I'm, I'm finding that I'm learning a lot about Reed when Reed isn't here and learning about sort of a side of her that I didn't understand. I'm reading a book right now. We actually have a book club coming up on it. Um, it's uh, basically written by, I don't know if you've heard of her, Tiffany Jenkins. And it's a really interesting, it's her story. It's like an addict's double life and long story short, she is, uh, you know, using drugs. She's actually selling drugs and she happens to be dating the like uh, sheriff of the town. And he obviously doesn't know. And she did a lot of like things that if you would hear are like really sketchy, awful, terrible, all these things to chase the high. But she was explaining it. And then the therapist who was talking to her in the book basically said, no, that that wasn't you. Sure, that was you, but it's it's a primitive nature. And it's almost like if you were on fire and you have to put it out. And that's yeah. just something that I don't think unless you are, know a loved one who suffered from it, are suffering it from your like yourself, you don't get that it's not like a choice, right? Because, and I think that comes back to the stigma again, right? And what yeah. you and I are trying so hard with our nonprofits to, to make better is like, you think, okay, well, having cancer isn't a choice. Using drugs is a choice. So when they're doing all these bad things, you know, people are like, they are doing drugs is bad you are a bad person if you do drugs, not realizing it's like, unfortunately, it, it, it's incredible from my understanding, incredibly painful, both, um, you know, mentally, physically, and it's, it's not that person. And I think that's really cool. And it's taken me a while to learn how to sort of separate the pieces of what the person who the person is, and we know and love and then, you know, what they were doing to in order to chase the higher whatever that may be. Totally. And I, I think that's why the education piece is so imperative. Like even watching my mom, for example, have this son who is yeah. doing things and um, behaving in a way that is so unlike his character, you know, to see your own child yeah. go through all that. Exactly. It's like there should have been a system in place in schools where people grew up understanding what this is. It's mm. like, because the journey of discovering that, I mean, you have undergone um, such a rapid learning curve since Reed passed away, right? You have, you have taken the, the initiative to start this nonprofit, read books, read the literature, watch the videos. Like you're actively engaging in that. 
when someone is watching an addict who's still alive and trying to help them or support them, you're usually trying to help. You look a little bit into that, kind of depends on your own personality and your own experiences. But generally I find like, you're looking at the person for who they are. So, oh yeah, they're great. They like have this job. They're saying this, they're saying this. If you're educated, you understand like, okay, they can still be that person. However, yeah, they're going to do everything in their power to hide that part of them. No, and that, and that is such an interesting piece because, you know, I didn't know with addiction, you can be for all other intents and purposes, super successful, incredibly busy, have a million gazillion friends. And it sounds like that's what your brother was. He was a really outgoing personality, had a lot of friends and you still sort of lead as I'm reading the book, like a double life. And what, what do you think sort of the key is? I think you and I both know, but for our listeners who may not, what do you think the key is in order to fix this stigma in order to sort of change minds? What do you think needs to be done? And if you could talk a little bit about what you guys are currently doing with that. Totally. Well, yeah, I I spoke on it really briefly a second ago, but just the education piece is so imperative, right? Like it's, it's really, we're in an incredibly challenging time in history where a lot of people are struggling with a lot of different things. Yeah. And mental health has taken this kind of personal problem narrative. So you see a homeless person, personal problem narrative. Yeah. You see a depressed person, personal issue. Yeah. If you were not really having this like collective outlook of well, why are so many people struggling? Like what's actually going on here? Right. And how are we gonna make any strides to solve that? Mm-hmm. And the literature says that like, very simply, when you know more about a health problem, you're less likely to suffer from it. That can be diabetes, mm. smoking, alcoholism, addictions, or any mental health related problem. So what our nonprofit does is we kind of just got to this point where we were like, the stigma has to be reduced. No one's really doing anything. A lot of people will talk about it, but there aren't actually very many um, initiatives that are really making a difference. What we do in Vancouver, Canada is we provide free online via Zoom because of COVID mental health literacy courses for high school kids. And they're run by, you know, some of the top people in the mental health field, you know, psychiatrists, social workers. Um, and we, we use them pretty consistently over, you know, a time period. So we have great relationships with these people. Um, they're simply fantastic. I absolutely love working with them. And they really help these kids understand, you know, the power of like help seeking. So like talking to a friend or, or, um, you know, simple things like what is anxiety actually? What is depression? What's clinical? What yeah. is substance abuse? How to deal with your phone in a healthy way? Mm. All these dynamics in life that I feel like are just getting swept under the rug, especially with COVID. Like right. a lot of the the youth I work with on the council, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later, a lot of them don't have social interaction the way we did growing up. You know, yeah. like during the pandemic, it's it's expedited this norm of connecting on a phone. Yeah. And that is not going to be sufficient. And then a lot of people are gonna feel, you know, more socially anxious, 
more isolated. Mm -hmm. Isolating yourself is kind of depressing. It when is. you're depressed, you need an outlet. The outlet is alcohol okay. or substances. And yeah. you can clearly see the pattern. So what we try and do is say, hey, it's actually a very normal, understandable thing to be going through, especially as a teenager. Let's talk about it, understand it, and then learn how to cope with it better. Love it. And I, and I think that's the key to it, right? Because when you get something, the person is no longer the other. It's your understanding that it could be you, it could be your friend, it could be your family member. Um, yeah, no, and I think I think we've talked about before too, just the importance of empathy, right? Like, and I think what you guys are doing is so important because it just, you know, in school, think about all the things that like now as adults, we wish we learned in school and being able to understand mental health, that's definitely top on the list along with knowing how to do taxes or something, you know, oh, like it's just, it's, it's such an important part of everything we do in life is connecting with people. And I think it's so important that, and I was going to say, you know, cause I, I was, when I was trying to start this nonprofit, I was trying to figure out what is our target demographic, right? Like, who are we supposed to be targeting? And I was like, okay, like, you know, Reed was 24, I'm 24, I just turned 25, but whatever. Like, maybe it's like that sort of age. And then I realized after doing research, the importance of targeting the younger demographic, right? Absolutely. So can you talk about why you guys are tar uh, targeting younger, you know, kids rather than people our age? Absolutely. Um, the simple answer is primary prevention. So as humans, we like to be um, treatment-based. Look at climate change, for example, yep. right? It's like stuff will really have to hit the fan <laughs> in so order much. for us to be like, oh, this maybe we should change, right? <laughs> so yeah. a, lot of, um, a lot of it kind of comes from this idea that if we really want to improve or decrease the prevalence of mental health problems in adults, mm -hmm. we are going to have to prevent them. We mm. are going to have to prevent them with education. Right. So you can, you can tell a, a 35 year old, you know, here's what depression is. Here's what anxiety is. They already have so much life experience under their belt on what those things are, that it isn't necessarily like a prevention strategy anymore. Right. When you're young, you're in the critical period of learning interpersonal behaviors. Mm -hmm. So like, how to have empathy, how to compromise, all those variables, they come in your like early teens into early adulthood. That's the critical period for that. Right. So if you target that demographic and you start teaching them, oh, here's how you actually cope with anxiety. Here's how you actually should deal with your phone in a healthy way and here are the red flags. And here's why the body dysmorphia thing like is not gonna work for you. Mm. You know what I mean? Like. Let's yeah. teach these kids like what is actually going on on their phones because they're all feeling it. They are all feeling it. And I think that that's a really good point because once you know that what you're feeling is normal, there's like a fear aspect that gets taken out of the equation, right? It's, yeah. it's fear of the unknown. It's, yeah. you know, I spoke to someone's sister the other day. I'm very open about having anxiety. Uh, thank God. And I've, I've always said to the point where we are with mental health now is where we need to get addiction. Obviously it's people doing really good work, like what you guys are doing. And hopefully we'll get to that space. But, um, and I know when you and I have spoken before, I said this, like when you go on your phone, 
you are starting to see, you know, mental health awareness month, there's mental health sick days apart from physical sick days. Like we're starting the movement on that. Like there's Zippo for addiction. And why is that? I think, you know, there's a, there's a fear of the unknown. What if I get labeled as that? And that comes down to the stigma. So I was going to say, I know you guys have a couple of different programs that you're currently running. You have the Apple program and then the core connector initiative. Can you explain what the two different programs are to our listeners? Absolutely. I think the Apple program from a personal point of view is kind of like my baby in a way. Like when I think about, you know, how I was saying in high school, I really struggled. That's kind of where the Apple program came about. So it was a safe place in my high school where Adam went to school and it was a simple bowl of apples. The prince, the principal was pretty basic, right? Healthy snack, healthy conversation. Love it. No, that's a cute idea. Such a cute idea. So we do that at my school. And then people are leaving notes in the bowl Mm. and people are, you know, hanging out around the bowl and kind of waiting for somebody to talk to, to make friends. And I'm kind of watching like, oh, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. So long story short, what we did is we went to a couple of their schools and they loved it. And then they went to a couple of their schools and so on and so forth. We're in over 30 schools in the lower mainland. That is so cool. What a, that's a huge, huge congrats. Cause I realize how tough that stuff is. So that's amazing. That really, yeah. Is. Yeah. It's honestly, the feedback is so positive. Like it's primarily in elementary schools. Cool. We initially were kind of 50, 50, but it's really just, um, it's taken its own course in the elementary school space, right? It's kind of like the buddy bench. Like yeah. a kid can go when they're kind of feeling lonely and share a healthy snack with a friend. Like it's it's such a beautiful concept for just uh, indirect learning on like interpersonal skills. So we're not necessarily teaching them, mm-hmm. but it's just this place of encouraging, you know, like opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that's the Apple program. And then the Core Connectors Initiative is solely a high school program, cool. and that's the mental health literacy program. So that is the online six-week sessions with the facilitators, and you you get like the module beforehand, and it's a, it's not an intensive course; it's a seminar-like course. So okay. it's very dialogue-based. It's oh, nice! Two every Sunday morning. There's mindfulness exercises. Love it. It's such a I sat in on the most recent one and it's so beautiful to watch these kids not only like feel so understood, mm. so genuinely like, and it's primary prevention, right? So they're not coming in with mental illness. Right. They're coming in with genuine curiosity and also awareness of their personal experiences as well. So you see just this space like so quickly be born from like-minded students who are just wanting this program to be more widespread um and that's kind of how we developed the youth council it was it was a bunch of students who took our core connectors initiative and just wanted to be more involved they were so interested in what we were doing that they really wanted to volunteer with the program more long term and that's where we've seen youth have an actual voice in our growth and have opinions on our programs which has been i think imperative to what we're doing yeah no that that's so amazing i just i think it's so important that there are organizations like you guys who are, you know, obviously talking about how important mental health literacy, education, and understanding that's all going to go to to solve destigmatizing addiction and mental health. So I think that that is, I think that that is the key step. 
In terms of other sort of resources, like how do people find you guys? How does that work? Are you, um, you know, putting advertisements out in newspapers? Like how do people know if they want to go learn about mental health literacy in the Vancouver area? How are you getting your people? Yeah, great question. Honestly, with COVID, I think everything kind of screeched to a halt for a little bit. So yeah. during 2020, all, you know, the advertisements, the social media marketing, the fundraisers, everything was kind of put on pause, especially with our Apple program being so prevalent. The idea of taking two out of a bowl and sharing it with a friend, we're That's like, a good point. Um, I didn't even think about that with yeah, COVID. <laughs> right? Kind of like, oh, like, we don't know how to do that. So yeah. I'd say there was like an eight month period of just brainstorming, you know, mm -hmm. how are we going to do this? And the, the CCI originally was an in-person um, ah, okay. Yeah, so I we would to the we, online format. Yes, so we would cool. rent out a space at UBC nice. over a three-day period, and it was like a really intense workshop for seven ah, hours a day. Wow. Yeah, very different approach. Um, I think the kids have responded more positively. I to was going to say probably the online. That's I mean, especially with COVID and everything, like that's what we're used yeah. to. We're having our meetings, we're having everything. I was going to say probably that's a really great format for people to be in the comfort of their own home, feel yeah. sort of relaxed and good and sort of ready to learn. Yeah, it was an interesting um, convincing the board was pretty interesting how you have this like interpersonal, mm. very um, sensitive, nurturing space online. It's kind of like what yeah. and I think that was a huge part of the the brainstorming period was are we going to take this risk you know what I mean because it mm -hmm. is a risk it's yeah. like having that type of service through an online medium is challenging and so we ran our first session in January of 2021 that was kind of the reboot and yeah. since we've run two sessions we have another one already prepared for you know first week out of summer everything is going so so well but to answer your question the the um, marketing strategies and all those things have been a lot uh, less of a priority only because it was kind of a trial run to come back and say, mm. you know, what are we going to do with COVID? How is this actually going to, to present itself into the world again? And right. once we've seen that be effective, now we can kind of look forward to, to bringing that to the table. Right. And so for our listeners, who is that available to? Is that students? What age groups do they know? So it's students, any student, it does not have to be a participating Apple program, nothing along those lines. Any student free of charge, it's recommended for 10 to 12. Great. That's the recommended period, but I'm happy to hop on calls. I've done it probably five or six times with parents who are, um, their child is in grade eight or nine. Mm. And it's just to kind of like, I, I think it's so imperative to to let the parents know what the kids are doing as well. Like we have all the parents' information before they I was going to say, in. how does that communication work with the parents? Do you get parents calling you up being like, hi, my son and daughter wants to sign up. Can you give me information? Like, what does that look like? How are yeah. you keeping the parents in? Yeah, good question. We require, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like consent and assent, but when you're under 18, you actually aren't able to consent to much. Right. So what they have That's to do, idea. I remember my mom be like, Hey mom, like, can you sign this for me? Feel, totally. feel the forms I'm thinking of. Yeah, totally. So yeah. all the parents do know what's happening and they have to read a pretty lengthy form outlining, you know, exactly what their kid is learning. Mm -hmm. um, the data that will be collected on like the effectiveness of our program, blah, blah, blah. Cause we're doing a lot of research on the program right now, which is mainly what my job actually entails. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, just um, I'm, I'm currently writing a publication on writing mental health or conducting mental health literacy through online mediums. Ah, so, look at you. That's yeah. pretty awesome. I Thank was, you. Are you allowed to share sort of what the findings are or what do you, what is your, what are you looking for? There's, there's so much to unpack in that. Yeah, I mean, right now it's, it's, it's interesting because we have about three papers lined up. So okay. one is, um, is probably coming out in the next three months. I don't have a, a big piece in writing that one, but it's from our very first Core Connectors initiative in person like three years ago, getting the kids feedback, which is just, it's almost nostalgic to read. You know what I mean? It's important to, to publish, of course, but it's kind of like where we first began. Mm. Have you guys pivoted since then? Like, do you take the feedback and sort of incorporate into continuous improvements? Absolutely. So this is the, this is the one that was, you know, in person over three days. So it's quite different, right? So reading it, it's like, the kids will be like, this was fantastic. Completely changed my view on mental health. Seven hours was a little long though. (laughs) It's like, yeah, "Yeah, fair. So, so my kind of job in it now moving forward is talking about the fact that this can be done through online mediums. Um, and interviewing our facilitators who were, you know, they're a part of the Adam's Apples family at this point. And I interview them and kind of just talk about how they conduct their, their group practices online, um, the strengths and weaknesses of that, you know, how to connect with people through online mediums. And then the final paper will be actually the kids feedback, which is obviously so exciting. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I was going to say, you'll have to keep us posted and we'll make sure to post it to our viewers and everything like that. I was going to say we could be going on for, for 10, 10 years, but I just wanted to thank you so much before we do go, where can we find all your information, social media website? Can you let our viewers know? Absolutely. It's adamsapples.ca and adamsapplesfdn on Instagram. Um, our link tree is absolutely heavenly on Mm -hmm. our Instagram because you have the CCI signups, all our video footages, our, our website, it's all in our link tree. So if you have any inquiries there, I'm pretty sure my contact is even in the link tree. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Happy to always connect with any, any listeners. Um, if you even have your own experiences with addiction, mental health, anything like that similar to Alex, like we love hearing about it. So that would be fantastic. Awesome. Well, Ali, thank you so much for being on today. This is really great. And we'll have to do this again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Bye, Ali. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. You can find more episodes of Tapping Into the Human and resources about addiction and mental health by following The Albertus Project on social media at Albertus Project and at www.albertusproject.org. Thank you.